Talk Radio. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Two sides of the terror coin, good and evil. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carroll a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Today we're going to be talking about two sides of the terrorist coin, a good guy and a bad guy. The good guy is Jason Spindler. He uh, was just killed in Kenya in a terror attack, and uh, I will be telling you why that is, I mean, of course it's tragic, <laughs> um, but besides that, it, it's, it's eerie and I'll tell you why. The bad guy is a guy named Hasher Jalal Tahib, and he is a wannabe terrorist, wannabe lone terrorist, whose attack planned on the White House and other icons was barely stopped in time. So let's get back to Jason Spindler. He was a 41, well, he was just about to turn 41, um, when he was killed in a terror attack in Nairobi, Kenya. Now, what makes this death particularly tragic and particularly eerie and particularly, you just have to wonder about uh, whether he was fated to die in a terror attack at one time or another, he survived the 9-11 terror attack. He was on his way to work in the World Trade Center when he was late and when he got out of the subway, he saw the first plane hit the first tower. And so he was saved. And he then dedicated himself to helping people. I mean, he was always, um, he was in business. He was actually, he was, <laughs> how is this possible? <laughs> he was actually uh, a, um, he worked um, in business. He was a graduate of the University of Texas. He had a BS in business. And he also went to NYU. He had a degree in law, a doctoral law degree. And he um, was working in business as an, as an advisor, um, an investment advisor, and so on. And uh, he, after 9-11, and, and um, he particularly turned his attention to devoting himself to um, helping people, particularly poor people in third world countries, um, helping them using his skills, which were to be a business developer, an advisor, um, to helping these poor people uh, to build businesses that would then provide them and their village with money and, and a means to live and, and improve their quality of living. So he joined the Peace Corps again after he survived 9-11. Um, he joined the Peace Corps. He was, as I said, he was an American businessman. Um, and that was what he was doing in, in, in well, let me, let me back up a little bit. 
one of the things that he did when he um, joined the Peace Corps was he worked in um, Peru. He went to Peru and he helped them to develop an agriculture business. Now, um, the, um, he, he was helping them to, um, he, he then, he became a, the CEO uh, and founder of a company named iDev, called iDev, and he was the managing director, and um, it was actually iDev International. And this is a company that helped businesses grow in emerging markets, um, in, in developing countries. So um, when he was in the, but before that, when he was in the Peace Corps in Peru, he helped farmers develop a co-op to sell to larger markets. So in other words, his skills as a businessman uh, and an, an advisor and so on, he put to good use, not just in America, but in um, countries, developing countries. And he, had, he has a, a history of doing amazing things. He had uh, a growth of $7 million for this locally owned agriculture business in, while he was in the Peace Corps. And he had Originally, he had been working as, a, as an investment banker for Solomon Smith Barney. Um, he helped also small and medium-sized businesses um, in, in here and in these emerging markets. And that is why he was in Kenya. Um, he was working to help them uh, develop their business uh, businesses. And, you know, some of his, I looked at his Twitter account and um, his last tweet was in um, June of this year, well, of 2018. And um, he, it was all, you know, e even the tweets before his last tweet were all so enthusiastic about the meetings he was going to in Africa and things he was helping them do. It was all um, so upbeat. And then, um, not sure why it stopped in June of 2018, but, um, but there he was. Uh, this week, he was sitting in a, in, the, in a restaurant in a complex in Kenya, in Nairobi. It's called Dusit D2. It's a combination of hotels, or a big hotel, and shops, and so on, and restaurants. And um, doing this work to help other people again, you know, be making his uh, realizing, uh, presumably, that after he barely escaped being killed in 9-11, uh, it made him feel that much more strongly about helping people um, who, who needed help. Um, and so, so imagine, you know, Peru, Kenya, he goes to all of these third world countries to try to help them. And in the process of this, he gets killed. Uh, there were terrorists from Al-Shabaab who stormed into this complex. And it was men with um, guns and explosives. You know, there, there is a video, which you might have seen, of one of these terrorists blowing himself up, walking on the street. And just suddenly you see an explosion. And it's this man, this terrorist, this suicide bomber blowing himself up. And um, this attack, which lasted hours um, and killed over 21 people, 
also killed uh, Jason Spindler. You know, you have to wonder, it seems like uh, he was fated to be killed by a terrorist somewhere, whether in the Twin Towers or in Kenya. You just kind of, that's why I said it's kind of eerie. But um, he is a hero. He's a tragic hero. We um, can all, should all, learn from him that um, how important it is to dedicate yourself to doing things to help others. And no, for those of you who are being, uh, <laughs> who are being somewhat, um, oh, I don't know, um, uh, thinking that, um, that, okay, yeah, there he was in Kenya helping others and look what happened to him. Um, you know, certainly, certainly if we, you know, it's interesting, if you've ever had a near-death experience, I don't mean, you know, where you go to heaven and come back, but I mean like where, you, you, let's say you were in a car accident and you, it was a near miss or something like that. Um, I know a lot of people who have had those experiences have then decided, uh, not that they were necessarily doing bad things in their life before, but who rededicate themselves to doing especially good things to help the world. And um, obviously what this proves isn't so much that you shouldn't do good things or you shouldn't go to Kenya, <laughs> um, but, that, but that we need to wipe terrorists off this earth um, sooner than we are doing it now because otherwise good people like Jason Spindler die. When we come back, we'll talk about the other side of the coin. That's a little bit of a longer story uh, about a man who was barely uh, stopped from committing a terrorist attack on the White House, and he had other places in mind. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back. Before the break, we've been talking about two sides of the terror coin that is good and evil. We've just spoken about the good, and that is Jason Spindler, a man who was literally going to all ends of the earth to help people after he survived 9-11. Uh, and, and again, looking at, I, I, it fascinates me, these twists of fate. Um, there he was, you know, had it not been for the fact that he was late to work, I mean, there are lots of stories in 9-11 of people who were supposed to be there that day at that time and weren't there because they were late, because they had to drop a child off at school, because they were sick, all different reasons. And you just, you know, it just kind of makes you wonder about fate and destiny and all of that kind of stuff. Um, very interesting to contemplate. <laughs> Not that I have answers for you. That's, um, that's up to God or a higher power or whatever it is that you believe in. So, okay, now we're talking about the evil side of the terror coin, and that would be represented by a man named Hasher Jalal Tahib. He's 21, and he comes from Georgia. And by the way, if you haven't heard about this near miss, it's not your fault, um, because I just came upon it on CNN, but like as a crawl, you know, under the news, um, there's the crawl that 
that goes across that tells you other things than what they're talking about. And it was on there. But there has not been, at least to date, um, there has not been much of a story about him at all. And this goes to a pattern um, where, <laughs> where the mainstream media does not like to talk about terrorism or terrorists. Um, it kind of relates to the wall also that, uh, that the idea of there needing to be a wall to keep out terrorists, you know, they laugh at. It's really not something to laugh at because, indeed, um, that is one way that terrorists are getting in. Do we know specific names? Um, actually, there are. There have been reports, not of the names necessarily, but of the fact that, that the, the um, people in security branches do, do have names, <laughs> do take names. Okay, well, let's get back to Hasher Jalal Tahib. It just kind of, it's just that it really makes me angry that um, the American public isn't being given the truth. And, you know, when you go to other countries, uh, their news about terrorists and terrorism is a lot more complete than um, the American news. Okay, Hasher, Talal, Tahib, Jalal, Tahib. Um, as I was saying, he comes from Georgia, and he um, decided that he wanted to be a terrorist. And he, um, it wasn't just a pipe dream, he actually took steps. Now, fortunately, this story is amazing for at least one fact. Um, well, there are a lot of things that are amazing, but in particular, it points out the need uh, for, you know, if you see something, say something. If it hadn't been for someone who knew him and recognized that he had become radicalized, that he changed his name, and that he planned to travel abroad um, to join ISIS. They calling it Hijra, H-I-J-R-A, which is traveling to a territory controlled by ISIS. He wanted to do that, but he had no passport. He couldn't get a passport, apparently. So instead, he decided to create attacks in the U.S. Very creative guy. So fortunately, this, um, this person who knew him somewhat, knew him enough to know his plans, I guess uh, he confided in him his plans. We don't, the news, the, the reports aren't out yet about more specifics, such as how they knew each other and so on, perhaps in the same mosque, um, you know, which kind of shows you that, that uh, the difference that there can be in people uh, attending mosques. Uh, not everyone decides to become terrorists. So again, it's just so important that um, you, if you have any signs that people are becoming radicalized, um, it is so important. So this man, I'm presuming it's a man, who um, notified the local authorities in Georgia who notified the FBI. And they then um, put him under surveillance. They actually went undercover FBI agents to, um, to communicate with him and to pretend that they wanted to go along with him and uh, do attacks with him. So he was just arrested in a sting operation by the FBI. Um, he had planned to attack the White House. He wanted to storm the White House and take down people as well as damage the whole White House. 
um, with his weapons. And he had other targets of opportunity in Washington, D.C. I mean, hey, you're going to do the White House, <laughs> attack the White House, you might as well attack whatever else you can get to while you're at it in D.C. Um, he also planned to attack the Statue of Liberty, and he also planned to attack a synagogue. I mean, you know, for good measure. And he um, was willing, the way that he figured he would do this was to trade his car in to get an anti-tank rocket and explosives. So um, now he's charged, I'll tell you more about that in a bit. Now he is charged after he was, uh, he was arrested. He's charged with attempt to damage by means of an explosion any building owned, possessed, or leased by the U.S. or any department or agency of the U.S. using fire or explosives. So let me tell you the story um, about him. He, um, he the, the tip was given to local law enforcement in March, this past March. So it, they were following him and interacting with him for almost a year before they um, came in for the arrest. Because in other words, they had to wait until, you know, they had enough, that he had gone far enough in his plans to attack, uh, to be able to make the charges stand up. If it was just some guy talking about, hey, I think I'd like to attack the White House and not doing anything significant, taking any actions in that direction, um, that could be considered entrapment, and so on, you know, it's um, le too little to stand on. Um, so they needed to kind of nurture him along. I mean, yeah, of course, I'm sure his defense is going to try to say that it was entrapment and anyway. Uh, nurture him along. I mean, basically pretend that they were, that they believed in the things that he believed in. Um, you know, the FBI has gotten rather sophisticated by now in trying to make sure that they can't be accused of entrapping anyone. Um, so he, um, the, he, they, it was finally the, 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 the part of the FBI that was finally or uh, mostly involved with him was um, the Joint Terror Task Force of Atlanta. And they met him several times, they communicated with him um, on the encrypted messages and um, and some of the things that he talked to the FBI agent about were really rather fascinating. Uh, for example, he showed the FBI agent a hand drawing diagram of the White House, including the ground floor of the West Wing and with his attack plan. Another thing that they that he talked to the FBI agent, undercover agent about, was that he wanted to uh, have the agent get him weapons and explosives for the attack. And also, he wanted to make a video. He was talking to the FBI agent about how they could make a video to motivate supporters. And he, he had it all planned out. Um, who he, what he was, what he, what he wanted to put on that video, and I think I'll leave you um, now <laughs> on a cliff, uh, <laughs> so that you'll tune back in and hear the rest of the story of um, 
of what his plans were and how what he was going to how he was going to best motivate his supporters so that they too would follow in his footsteps and attack America. When we come back, we'll talk about this in greater detail. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. This is Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back. Before the break, I left you on a cliffhanger so that you would stay tuned to hear the rest of the story. There's actually a lot of interesting stuff here. Um, I was talking about the video that Hasher Jalal Tahib uh, wanted to make to inspire other lone wolves to follow in his footsteps. And again, today we're talking about two sides of the terror coin the good side and the evil side. We talked about Jason Spindler as representing the good side, a tragic death, um, a man who escaped 9-11 and then um, went around the world doing good. And now we're talking about Hasher Jalal Tahib, the bad, the evil side, uh, wannabe terrorist, lone wolf terrorist. And I was saying before the break, um, telling you about how he wanted to make a video to motivate his supporters. Now, one thing that's interesting is that when he couldn't get uh, a passport to travel to um, the territory controlled by ISIS, he kind of said, well, it's okay. Um, it would be better to stay in the U.S. anyway to perpetrate attacks. I don't think he said perpetrate. <laughs> But to attack the U.S. Um, because there are fewer terrorists here than there are in ISIS-controlled territories. And so he could do more damage here, which could also be read as um, he could get more attention here. And his, his attack um, would, could influence more people here. He talked about jihad being an obligation that he had to carry out. And um, he expected, he talked about, he told the FBI, well, he told his, be the, the person who became the source for the local law enforcement in um, Georgia and then the FBI, he told them that he wanted to be or expected to be a martyr, meaning that he expected to die in the attacks that he was planning. So getting back to the video, I, I said I would. <laughs> he, had, he, he had a very creative you know, idea for this. In the video that he wanted to make before he went on the rampage of his attacks, uh, he wanted to show oppressed Muslims and he wanted to show American and Israeli flags burning in the background. Perhaps not, you know, perhaps not new ideas, but still um, he wanted it, ho was hoping to do it in a way that would be effective and that would inspire other lone wolves to um, create their attacks of their own. So, so again, this man, uh, Tahib, has been followed since March of 2018, uh, since the tip was received and that he had been radicalized and so on and changed his name and so on. And um, 
as and they were talking about the some of the things that I mentioned, the hand-drawn diagram of the White House. I mean, he, he, this was more than just a pipe dream, um, as was finally proven by the fact that um, when he got arrested, it was one, once he had the goods on him. Um, he had started telling the FBI undercover agents with whom he was talking, conspiring, you know, he thought they were terrorists too. Um, and, you know, the, the FBI does an amazing, amazing job of this. I have talked about in prior shows some other examples of FBI agents talking with wannabe terrorists and until it gets to the point where they can arrest them because of some act that the wannabe terrorist has made, um, which shows that they were actually going to go through with it. So in the case of Tahib, um, he started telling the FBI undercover agent that he, the time was now, that he wanted to pick up the weapons this week, um, this would have been a week ago or so, and then he wanted to um, do the attack the next week. So um, the undercover FBI agent took him to uh, a parking lot, a spot, you know, a, um, sort of an isolated spot, uh, where they were supposed to exchange, both the FBI agent and Tahi were supposed to exchange their cars for weapons. So finally, this was an act that showed his intent to go through with the attack. He was giving up his car in exchange for weapons, and he wouldn't need his car anymore if he, was, if he died in the attack and became a martyr. So um, there were other undercover FBI agents who met them, one who made a show of inspecting the cars, you know, see if the cars were good enough, right? And, um, and the other who brought a trailer, a tractor trailer with the weapons. And this was with weapons, with semi-automatic assault rifles and explosives and an anti-tank rocket. And so they, um, the, this wannabe terrorist, and presumably his FBI undercover agent, um, took the weapons which, by the way, had been rendered inert by the FBI beforehand, took the weapons and put, and well, first gave the car keys to their cars to an undercover FBI agent and took the weapons and put them in a rental car and then closed the doors of the rental car. And lo and behold, that was when they were arrested because this showed... <laughs> They were, you know, before they could drive away in this rental car, they were arrested. So, um, you know, one of the things also that this shows is this is not the only, I mean, do you think that this is the only wannabe terrorist? I don't even know if I should be calling him a wannabe terrorist. He actually, I mean, he didn't, he wasn't, he was stopped before he created the attack but he was on his way to doing that. He had the plans, uh, the floor plans that he showed the agent and so on. Um, so he, he meant business. He was going to do it. Uh, and, and again, this was, a, this was a, a plan that started at least 
in March 2018. It wasn't sort of a something that he just dreamed up one day, and then the next day he got the weapons and and they they arrested him. So, what? The, the the scary thing or something, I don't know, necessarily, well, I mean, it is kind of scary, but something that we all need to be aware of is that these kinds of things are happening around the U.S. every day. I mean, do you think these are the only FBI agents who are stopping terrorists in their tracks? No. Um, as exemplified by some of the other stories that I've told you in the past. There was a man in Ohio, for example, who wanted to do a July 4th attack, and he had plans, and, and uh, he was being uh, talked to or by FBI agents, and, and finally, when they got the goods on him, they arrested him. I mean, this is the kind of thing, and yes, you know, is it better that we don't know about this because we otherwise we might all be undercover in our beds. <laughs> um, I don't think we should be undercover hiding under the covers in our beds, but I do think we need to be realistic about the fact that, that this is still happening, that, you know, whether, regardless of whether ISIS is really dead in Syria and Iraq and all that or not, and I'm not going to get into that today anyway, um, but, but uh, regard, aside from that, there are people, you know, these things inspire lone wolves in America every day. And the reason why we have to be realistic about it and be aware of it is because we have to think of ourselves as being on a marathon. We have to be making ourselves stronger physically and psychologically every single day as if you were going to run a marathon. You know, what would you do if you were going to run a marathon? You would be preparing for quite a while, and you would be making yourself as strong as possible, physically, of course, practicing, you know, running and, and all of that, or for any sport, um, practicing, and also getting into psychological state, uh, a, a psychological state that makes you feel the most resilient. And that is kind of what I'm all about, um, trying to get people to realize that every day they need to be doing things to make themselves stronger because even, you know, thank goodness this attack didn't actually happen, but although Nancy Pelosi might, <laughs> might be disappointed, but this attack didn't happen, but, um, but there are still, as I said, people plotting all over the U.S. And so we need to not go under our covers and hide, but to um, do what we can to you know, make ourselves stronger, as I said psychologically and physically, as if we were running a marathon. And um, there, are, there are various ways to do that. I write about that, for one thing, but also I will tell you more about that in future shows. So thank you um, for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show today. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, 
your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.